is the SETN Podcast with Chris Goforth and Chandler Morrison, covering high school football in Chattanooga and the Southeast Tennessee area. The SETN Podcast. Welcome in. It is the first ever edition of SETN Preps Podcast, Southeast Tennessee Preps Podcast. Alongside Chandler Morrison, I'm Chris Goforth. Glad to have you with us this week as we dive headfirst into uh, week one of the high school football season. We're going to talk some about some of the new coaches that are uh, in the area, guys that have uh, in their first year at uh, at new places. We'll take a look back at last week at the Jamboree. We've also got a big week and a couple of big games here in week one of the high school football season. So we're going to get into all of that. Chandler, it's finally here. The wait of summer is over now. It's been long enough, and we can get back to talking football again. Yes, the smell of fresh-cut grass on a Friday night is something to behold, Chris. I am ready, so ready for this high school football season. There's just this something about high school football that you can't put down on paper, you can't nail down to a board, and it's back, baby. Let's let's kind of get into it. We do have some new coaches. I don't know that it was as... As, as busy of an offseason, I think if you talk about Metro Chattanooga in general, you had Lookout Valley, you had Red Bank, you had Boyd Buchanan, maybe, and we look, we may miss somebody during this segment because we don't have time to touch on all the openings. Uh, you also had Udawai in there, so in Metro Chattanooga, it wasn't as busy maybe as what we have seen, Chandler, but boy, when you talk about the surrounding area around Hamilton County, a new coach at Copper Basin, a new coach at Sequatchie County, a new coach at Grundy County, um, I mean, there were a lot of, of job changes that, that happened, um, and it all kind of happened at once and, and stretched on into the summer. I mean, here's Boyd Buchanan just a couple of weeks before uh, fall practice starts, their head coach resigns, and, you know, the Buccaneers are scrambling to try to find an interim coach. They end up getting Kevin Orr, pretty good move on their part, because he's a guy that's got some head coaching experience. But right before camp starts, we get another coaching change. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the coaching change, like, real close to the season. you got to mention Bledsoe County and Grundy County, both of them coming in with brand-new coaches within probably the last month and a half. Uh, you know, and, for, and both of them were kind of sudden and kind of unexpected. I mean, I mean, you, so the moves that they got for Grundy County, I think they made a good move. Well, it's okay. They're having an interim coach. You never really want to have an interim coach going right into your, you know, your season. But, I mean, those are two of the biggest ones that stand out because they happen so close to the season and, and so unexpectedly, too. Is there a move that happened in this coaching carousel that really stands out to you as that's a good move? Uh, yes, I, I think that Chattanooga Central made a very good move. Kurt Jones, he's been at Central before. He was back at Central in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, and he's not getting a lot of hype because he's been an assistant. He's been an assistant at Sequatchie. He's been an assistant at Notre Dame where he's done, had a very good defense at Notre Dame uh, and, and been very pivotal for that team in general. I mean, you know, this is a team that had one region loss against Anderson County and lost in the playoffs to Greenville, who was the 4A state champion, I think Jones is in a heck of a position and can put the Pounders centrally in the mind of Chattanooga football, pun fully intended there, Chris. I, I see what you did there. I, there's a couple that I, that I really like, and, I, and I'm going to start first up at Copper Hill with Chad Grabowski because I thought that was a great hire. Getting a guy oh, yeah. that did a really good job, I thought, at Red Bank Chandler just in – 
in recruiting the halls and in restoring kind of some of the the excitement around Red Bank football. I thought Coach G did a great job while he was there. And and the one thing that he is going to do at Copper Basin, and I know a lot of people say, yeah, but how long is he going to stay there? I, I think he's... He doesn't strike me as being a guy that is is one that's job hopping or one that's looking for the next payday. Uh, I think he may be there for a little while. And the one thing that he does really, really well, and and I thought he did a great job of it at at Red Bank, and it's going to be key at a place like Copper Basin where you don't have a ton of kids, and that is to be able to put guys – in the best position to be able to help you win games. And I think he does that as good as anybody about being able to identify where a kid can help and putting him in a position to be successful. And the guy that replaced him at Red Bank, you talk about guys that have a chance to step in and win right away. I think Chris Brown is one of those guys. He was an assistant at Cleveland, and now he's taken over a Red Bank team that won 11 games last year, and he inherits Calvin Jackson, who I don't think gets enough credit or gets talked about enough as how good of a player Calvin Jackson is. And so those are the two moves that, that I really like in all of this. Grabowski being at Copper Basin, and look, Chris Brown stepping into a really good spot at Red Bank. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more experience on the Red Bank hire, but, I mean, you know, I'm not sure what they had to work with. He's unproven as a head coach since, he is, you know, this is his first year, but I think it's a pretty good move for what they had. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the move that Central made. Lookout Valley kind of did the same thing. Lance Rorick's, um, who has done a tremendous yes. job there leading the baseball program at, at Lookout Valley, and I thought he did a good job last year um, getting a lot out of that football team. And now he gets replaced by David Dinger, who has been there before. This is actually Coach Dinger's third go-around as a head coach. And I'm interested to see because, you know, I think Coach Rorix did a, did a good job in – you always talk about recruiting the halls, and, and they actually have – some size now at Lookout Valley, which is something they haven't had. They still don't have a ton of numbers, Chandler, but they've at least got some size. Yeah, that's something you saw at the Jamboree. I I noticed that they were able to at least, you know, even if they weren't able to match the speed or match some of the schematics, they were at least able to match the size at the Sequatchie Valley Jamboree. We'll get into that later, but uh, I thought they were very impressive with the size they did have. This is the Southeast Tennessee Prep Podcast. You can find us, SETN Preps. You can find us on Facebook. And um, eventually, you'll be able to download this podcast from wherever you download your podcast from. Right now, check us out on Facebook, and we'll continue to keep you updated on where you can find this program. An interesting change, the TWSWA Board of Control, Chandler, has decided now, because of a conflict with the Tennessee Titans schedule, we're going to see the, the Mr. Football Awards this year announced on a, on a Sunday. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I know it's just a scheduling conflict with the Titans, but hey, let me tell you something. I kind of like this move a lot because, you know, we were talking about this earlier. You know, it's, it's a media, you know, event but it's not really able to be seen by anybody even with the live stream and all that because it happens during the week you know monday during the day people are at work you know and i think this will be a good move for the TWSAA to get some more publicity and get more exposure to these kids because ultimately that's what this mr football is about i mean yes yeah, about showing the character showing the players but also it's to help some kids get some more exposure and get some more awards before they go off to college to get more recruitment 
So I think this will be good for the TWSAA just in, in that aspect alone. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I kind of like the idea of having it on a on a Sunday. And again, and or traditionally they have it on Monday, but they have it at a time when you know hopefully you work in an office or you scramble around and try to get somewhere uh, with your phone to where you can stream it live, and that because that's the way that you can watch it now that it's going to be on a Sunday, it's going to give folks an, an actual opportunity uh, to maybe be able to watch this and enjoy it and maybe more people actually be able to go to it and attend. It, it, it's always been a good event. I went for the first time back in 1999, um, and back then, as a matter of fact, I still have the baseball cap that they gave out uh, to the media. That was back when you got some pretty good media swag. And um, it, it, I think back then it was sponsored by American General Life, and um, they gave out caps for it and some other stuff, I, you know, reporter notebooks and stuff like that. But once the Titans got involved in this a couple of years ago, I think it's gone to a whole nother level. I mean, I just think the the overall val- production value of the way it looks and, and the, the way they present, the trophy itself has always been cool. But oh, yeah. the 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 program that they have surrounding it since the Titans have gotten involved uh, has gotten even better, and it's always been pretty good. But now it's gotten even better since the Titans have been involved in it. I mean, yeah, and you wonder if you know because you know it's good for the fans, it's good for you know the general population. But you kind of wonder sometimes if the media are going to be like, all right, listen. We want this on a Monday because we don't have anything to do on Monday. Monday, Tuesday, that's kind of the dead period, you know, of, of media. They're going to want something to do instead of it being on a Sunday, you know, where they actually have content that they can probably push out for a Monday, you know. You, you, know. you mean you expect sports writers to work on a Sunday too? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, let's take a look back at the Jamborees last week. We'll start first in the Sequatchie Valley where, uh, again, Chandler, I, to me it seems like the teams that you thought would do well did well. Marion County, South Pittsburgh, Whitwell, they all won their quarters. That's kind of what I expected. Any surprises for you in the Sequatchie Valley Jamboree? I mean, a surprise to me is Grundy County. You know, we, we talked earlier, you know, they had the new coaching hire. They've had in the past, you know, Year they've had three. They've had actually they've had about if you count the interim coaches they've had about four or five coaches, uh, but they've had three different head coaches and they finally got one and it's looking like I mean just to look on the sideline there there's so many more kids there you know there's so many more kids you know and, and I'm just I, Grundy is just really surprising the way they were able to come out and yes it's the Jamboree yes maybe they're just trying to you know show out in front of the valley but. You know, Grundy County really did seem like they're going to get some momentum going into the season if they can. Yeah, I, look, they they beat Sequatchie twelve to nothing, and I know it's a jamboree, and I know that at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean diddly. But I just think for those kids to be able to get that opportunity to have just a little bit of success in the jamboree and to be able to walk off there and know what it feels like to to have some success. I just think that's huge and and I'm impressed with Tracy Hayworth and the job that that he has done. And I, I think the thing about him, Chandler, that really stands out so much is just and if you haven't seen the I guess it was a Facebook uh interview, Facebook Live thing that Stephen Hargis did with him the day that he was hired. Now I thought 
you know, Stephen did a good job in, in kind of bringing, uh, bringing Coach along and giving him a chance to, to really kind of show his personality a little bit. But he just, he's just a personable, likable guy when you listen to him talk. Yeah, I, I really, I really like him a lot. Just, just from what I've seen early, and especially in the jamboree, you know, kind of seeing him on the sidelines, getting excited with the kids. You know, he's just being able to talk to them, being able to be personable with the kids out there on the sideline. Uh, you know, I think, and this is like my early season prediction. I think he might actually be able to get them to fight for a playoff spot this year. I know it sounds crazy. I know it's way out there, but I think he might be the man that can get them back to the playoffs if there is a man there. Let's switch gears now and, and move over into Hamilton County, the best of preps jamboree that happened at Finley Stadium. I was there both nights. A couple of things. First off, uh, McCauley scored 36 points in two quarters. Um, you, you don't often see that kind of offensive production uh, in the jamboree, but Chandler, I... Man, I just think Macaulay's good. I mean, they are, to me, when I left that Jamboree Saturday night, the two things that stood out to me is that Macaulay is really good and Notre Dame is really fast. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame is really fast. I, I saw that speed, some of the some of the things you see there, some of the highlights you see. I mean, that that's just a lot of speed there. And it comes with the territory being Notre Dame and being able to be a private school in Chattanooga. You know, but for me, I look over and I look at the public school side of it too, and I've got to go with Central and Red Bank. They kind of impressed me both. I know Central played some, you know, you know questionable games. They played uh, Grace Baptist um, there, and it was kind of, uh, you know, Grace and Boyd, excuse me, and we know where Boyd might be right now. Um, but Red Bank really impressed me too because they took down East Hamilton and Baylor in the Jamboree, and, you know, they look to me to be one of the more impressive teams when you look at the smaller schools, they're 3A. Uh, in the Chattanooga area right now, just coming off that jamboree. So Central gets Walker Valley on Thursday night. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, this game might have already been played or, or it might be in the process <laughs> of being played. But you've got Baylor-Notre Dame on a Thursday night, um, and I think Notre Dame's going to give Baylor all they want and then some. And then Central and Walker Valley Thursday night, at Finley Stadium as well. You talk about how good that Central looked in winning those two quarters against Boyd Buchanan and against Grace. I think we, I think we're going to get a good reading here in Week One pretty early on Central when they go up against Walker Valley on Thursday night. For me, a couple of things. The two biggest uh, surprises for me, um, and I knew Macaulay was going to be good. I knew Notre Dame was going to be good, but I think Brainerd. Looks like a playoff team. And Signal Mountain is improved. Josh Roberts has done a really good job there. The numbers are back where they should be, and Signal Mountain passes the eyeball test right now. So week one of the season gets underway. We've got a couple of good rivalries here, including an old-school rivalry, Saudi Daisy and Red Bank. We'll talk about that one here in a little bit. But let's first start with a rivalry over in the Sequatchie Valley, where Sequatchie County and South Pittsburgh tangle. Chandler, I know you've seen this rivalry for the last couple of years, and this is one that has uh, – these have been some pretty good games between these two in recent years, a 28-21 South Pittsburgh win last year. Yeah, and – Surprisingly, you would think that this is, if I told you this was one-sided, you would think it would be one-sided towards South Pittsburgh, but the past 
four years, Sequatchie County has won three, uh, which is very interesting seeing, you know, Sequatchie County doesn't have the best history against South Pittsburgh, but it's, it's becoming quite an early uh, season rivalry. Uh, you know, South Pittsburgh did take the take last year, uh, but the last time Sequatchie did get a new coach, they did beat Vic Ryder, and not many people can walk away uh, with a win against Big Ryder in Week One, you got two of the big, be- uh, two of the best big backs in the area, in Brad Hicks at Sequatchie County going up against Garrett Ralston from South Pittsburgh. Uh, I thought, especially at the end of the year last year, I thought Garrett Ralston was playing uh, as well as anybody in the state last year. The fact that he didn't win Mister Football, I, I thought was uh, a travesty because I thought, especially once you got into November. I thought he found a whole nother gear in terms of, of what he was doing to opposing defenses. It's always about speed when it comes to South Pittsburgh. The, you know, I guess the real question for Sequatchie County, do they have enough speed to be able to match up with it? You know, if you look at the Jamboree, you'd have to say <laughs> no. Uh, but, you know, they, they had two scrimmages um, in the past two weeks, and that wasn't the same team at those scrimmages that you saw at the Jamboree. What take from that what you will, but I I think that Sequatchie County has some speed. Whether they can match up with South Pittsburgh or not, I, I'm not sure. Can you beat Can you beat South Pittsburgh to the edges? Can you beat them downfield? That's going to be the ultimate test in this one. Yeah, and uh, you know we talked earlier about Central and Walker Valley and. You know, hey, we'd, we'd kind of get a better, better feel for Chattanooga Central after that game against Walker Valley. I think we get a little better feel about Sequatchie County after this matchup. I feel like with South Pittsburgh, we have more knowns. You, you know more about South Pittsburgh. You know what they're going to do. With Sequatchie County, I think there's a little bit of an unknown still with them right now, not, not to mention a new coach. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you talk about we're talking two years ago. They have a thirteen and one season, and that last year wasn't that bad. They went up against Red Bank, almost beat Red Bank in the playoffs, and could have been you know a quarterfinalist, semifinals maybe. Uh, but you know, he kind of inherits you know Coach Wadenberger. He he kind of inherits a really good team, a solid team. Not you know not the best team that you would want, but it's a really solid team. And I think that it's going to be maybe surprising to some people as you go through the season, but. I think we'll get a really good feel of what they're going to do this season when they match up against the Pirates in Week 1. It's an old-school rivalry now uh, as we move over to Hamilton County, Soddy Daisy and Red Bank. These were, I mean, at one time, this rivalry was on par with like a, uh, you know, a Macaulay-Baylor, a Marion County, South Pittsburgh. I mean, it was it was one of those rivalries that whenever they played it, um, it was – you know, overflow attendance. It was everybody's game of the week. It was the front page story in the newspaper the following day. And, you know, we've had a bunch of new school openings. We've had some population growth. We've had some rezoning. I think the private schools have hit both the, the Saudi community and the Red Bank community hard. So it's put a little bit of a damper on this rivalry. I don't know that it feels quite as big as it used to, but to old school fans in these communities of Saudi and Red Bank, this game still means everything. You got Calvin Jackson. Talked about him earlier at Red Bank. He's a matchup nightmare for everybody they play, but he's going to have a whole bunch of new guys that are blocking in front of him, and I think a lot of what Red Bank does in this game may be determined by how well their offensive line can play. Yeah, and 
and I like the, by the way, I want to say this. I like the move from Red Bank two years ago whenever they started scheduling to schedule a 5A and a 4A team right out of the gates with Sunny Daisy and Central. I love that move to be able to schedule up like that. But, you know, you got all this momentum from last year. You got both these teams, you know, <laughs> heading, you know, heading to your, your place to start the, the season off this year. Uh, you know, Red Bank has the talent, athleticism, and needs. It's young in some of the crucial spots, you know, including the offensive, defensive lines, like we talked about. You got to love your chances, though, when you got Calvin Jackson there in the backfield and Cole Stevens down in the trenches. He's going to be a good leader down there, and hopefully, he can uh, bring up the <laughs> the younger guys down there in the trenches. You've also got Signal Mountain East Hamilton playing in Week One. So if if Saudi and Red Bank, if that's the old school rivalry, Signal Mountain East Ham has got to be the new school rivalry, right? I mean, that's that's the way it has to work. I mean, when you look ten years ago, these schools didn't exist. I mean, that's got to be the definition of new school rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Signal Mountain brings back fifteen starters. Uh, and we talked about them a minute ago. They look like a team now that's ready to to be able to contend. And East Hamilton, really young. They got a whole bunch of question marks. Yeah, you know, this, this single mountain team, it's always kind of been an uncertainty since Bill Price left back in 2014 there. I mean, there's just always been this sense of that. Uh, but this year, if there's a year that they look, the part it is this year, you know, we talk about the number being up. We talk about they look like they might be able to compete uh, for that region. Um, but, you know, that East Ham's definitely going to be a measure mark for them because they are younger, they are a bigger one. But uh, they, what really worries me, they got a lack of experience down there in the trenches. Uh, they got a great center in Harrison Davis that hopefully can hold up those younger guys. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just wonder what they can do with that young line on both sides of the ball. You also have Cleveland and Ray County going at it this week. Kind of an interesting offseason at, at Cleveland. Um, a lot of high hopes coming off of, of last year. Graduation hit them hard. And I think it was one of those things where maybe you kind of hang your hat on, hey, at least we got our quarterback coming back. And then he decides not to play football this year. I don't know what I don't know exactly what Cleveland's going to look like. I think we know what Ray County is going to be under Coach Pemberton, and his son is back at quarterback, and and you pretty much know what you're going to get out of out of Ray County. They are who they are. Uh, with Cleveland, I, I almost feel like it's kind of a I don't know, just a big question mark in in terms of how they are going to look, especially offensively. They've got some guys that can go get the ball at receiver. I just wonder what what it's going to be like without having that experienced quarterback pulling the trigger for them. Yeah, the question marks are definitely on offense. I I think when you talk about defense, though, Cleveland definitely has maybe even the upper hand over Raycar in this situation. You got a great middle linebacker in Logan Strickland and, you know, good nose guard in Alex Higgins that, you know, just seemed to hold down that defense. I, I just, it'd be interesting to see how well they can hold down this offense that Ray County has, you know, because it seems like they've got the passing game a little bit with Zach Pemberton out there. They've got the running game, um, you know, and see if they can get the line to back it up. Yeah, when Ray can add that element of the pass to what they do, because with that wing T offense, um, with so much of the misdirection and so much of the stuff that they do, they can cause you a lot of problems on offense, on the ground. But when you add in the element of the passing game into what they already do, 
I think it makes them that much difficult, uh, that much more difficult to try to get a stop against. So uh, that will be an interesting one. Now, Brainerd Howard. This may be the most underrated game on the schedule in in week one. I think Brainerd's improved. Tyrus Ward, you knew he was going to do a good job there. It was just a matter of how long would it take. And he's got a young group. His sophomore class is super talented there. Now, by the way, Brainerd's sporting some new unis at the Jamboree over the weekend, some black uniforms. I thought they looked great, by the way. Um, And then here comes Howard, who brings everybody back. Uh, from what was a pretty good defense last year, you know, we talk about good games in week one, and, and I know there's some big rivalry games and, and some that have a lot on the line, but man, I, I really like this, this Brainerd Howard matchup. I mean, when you look down the barrel at this, Brainerd is going to try to break you, you know, break your defense with the multiple offensive formations type deal. You know, Howard's going to try to run the power game a little bit, maybe get some play action type deals. You know, this is the most underrated game, but it's also the most unpredictable game of week one, I would say. It's probably the closest thing to a toss-up that I have on the list right here. Well, and it's also one of those games, too, and this is going to be the most cliched thing that you'll hear uh, in this podcast, but you can literally throw the record books out the window when these two get together because it is such a big rivalry and it's an important game to a lot of people, uh, including those kids and both of those coaching staffs because they want to be able to say, hey, we beat Brainerd or or we beat Howard. And I, I'm with you. I, what are we going to see? I, I don't know. I think Howard defensively has a chance to be pretty good, but I like Brainerd on offense as well. So, I, you know, the Brainerd offense against the Howard defense, I think it shapes up pretty well. I, I, again, I like Brainerd and, and the talent they have. I know they're young, but I like what Coach Tyrus Ward's been able to put together. Let's get to our game of the week this week. It's Tyner and Udawa. Udawa won this game last year 55-9. to uh, And then Tyner, of course, went on and played for a state championship. They lost it in overtime. They bring back a whole bunch of guys from last year. So, Chandler, do you think, Tyner, have they closed the gap any after a 55-9 to loss to Udawa last year? One thing I'll say about Tyner, Wayne Turner has had a lot of great teams over the year. Last year's team was no exception. But let me tell you this. The difference between a great Tyner team and a so-so Tyner team is probably the discipline they have. They always, almost always have the talent. It's whether they have the discipline. It's whether they're able to listen to the coach. And I think that they have been. They got that experience. I think they're going to have that this year. Uh, Uwa, you know, 6A school, but you got a new head coach. You're replacing eight guys on both sides of the ball. You hate to say it in week one, but Science Hill and Bradley Central are up in weeks two and three. This is a smaller school, not matter in the region. They could be looking ahead just a tad. You hate to say that, but it's possible. Um, so I think this could be, you know, a recipe for an upset if there was one. Yeah, Udawa started nine seniors last year on defense, and I get the feeling that they're in a little bit of a rebuild mode. Um, and look, we know games are won and lost up front, and, and Tyner likes to play that, you know, just line up and mash people at the point of attack. And the, the word I've always used for Wayne Turner in his offense is is relentless. If you've ever tried to keep stats when Tyner plays, you're going to end up 
with whatever you're not going to have enough room in your on your rushing stats for all the kids that carry the ball because it seems like he'll use seven, eight, nine, ten different ball carriers in a game because they're just relentless and they just come at you in waves. In terms of how they do in two A, Chandler, they they got to be the odds on favorite at least here early in the year to get back to that two A title game uh, at the end of the year. Now, can they hold up against a what should be maybe a little inexperienced in places, but still a very athletic team in um, Udawa? I think that's the real question here. We'll learn a lot about Udawa. Because that was a veteran team last year. It's almost the exact opposite this year. They are green in a whole lot of places. And I think we'll have a pretty good idea of where Udawa is after this game and once they match up with Tyner. And it seems like a mismatch when you start talking about a 2A program going up against a 6A program. But this is one I'm kind of with you. I, I'm, I, I'm thinking Tyner, and we'll get to some picks here uh, as we close out the podcast, but I'm kind of liking Tyner over Udawada. As, as crazy as that sounds, um, I, I kind of like Tyner in the upset just because they've got all that experience coming back. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't see Udawada. You know, this this one might be a close one. This one might come down to the to the wire. But I mean, I don't know that that Tyner could you know put it in the bag you know until the fourth quarter. I think this is still going to kind of be close, but. I think Tyler's got to get this one. They may they may get it by a touchdown and a half. That's what I got. Saudi Daisy Red Bank. We talked about it earlier. Um, I think Red Bank rolls to a victory here. Close game last year. I think it'll be good when this a, a good one this year. But uh, I like Red Bank in the end. Yeah, I, this could be a barn burner with the two great quarterbacks, Chambers and Wilkie. Uh, Chambers for Saudi, Wilkie for Red Bank, uh, and they got some pretty good wideouts on the outside. If neither team scores 30, I'd be surprised. You know, it gets to raining maybe, but um, I'm going to have to go against you, Chris. I, I, I got Saudi on this. I just give them the edge. They just look a little bit more complete right now than Red Bank, and I hate to say that, but. Signal Mountain and East Hamilton, I like Signal Mountain again. I thought they really stood out in seeing them at the Jamboree. Take from that what you will, but I'll go with the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, these two teams match up pretty well in the passing game. I'm not sure either team's going to win this to the air. So it's going to come down to the trenches. If it comes out of that, i got to go with Sydney Mountain. I think they're more complete down our line. I think they can push the ball if they need to, even though East Hamilton, bigger school, better team should should win. But, you know, this last season, this one was pretty close. And I think Sydney Mountain brings a lot more back than East Hamilton does. Let's go our final game. Let's head over to the Sequatchie Valley. And in, in all fairness, we need to let folks know Chandler went to Sequatchie County High School, so he may be a little bit biased. Chandler, we talked about the team speed at South Pittsburgh. You throw that in with a big power back in, in Garrett Ralston. I think if he's not the best player in 1A football, he's on the very short list as far as I'm concerned. I just think it's too much for South Pittsburgh not to get the win Friday night. Yeah, I just think right now South Pittsburgh looks to be the more complete team when you look at it down the barrel just because you've got the inside run game. You've got the outside run game. And honestly, you've got the passing game. Sequatchie County's uh, you know, secondary has not looked that great here in the past few weeks. That's the one flaw they kind of do have and to be able to pass as well. So when you're one-dimensional like that, you know, I, I can't help but to go with South Pittsburgh, although I do think this one will be a little closer than people think, maybe, you know, 
two touchdowns or so. It's going to do it for us this week. This has been Southeast Tennessee Preps Podcast. We talk high school football. We do it twice a week, so you can catch us every Monday and again later on in the week. So we'll talk about the action from Friday night. You can hear it on Monday, and then later on in the week we'll be previewing the games that are coming up. So normally this week you only get one podcast. Once we get a little more, uh, once we get a little more action under our belts, we'll be able to expand and take it into uh, twice a week to be able to talk some prep football. And, of course, like our Facebook page, S-E-T-N Preps. That's where you can find us, and that's where you can find where you can learn more about uh, when this show and this podcast will be available. Chandler, did I forget anything? Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter as well, at Sports Chandler. And, uh, Chris, whatever your hashtag, whatever your uh, handle is. At Crisco Fourth One. At Crisco Fourth One. Plenty of... Um, uh, plenty of retweets because I probably tweet about four times a year when it's when it's actually something original. But but I'll retweet a whole lot. I'll just retweet Chandler. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. All right, man. We'll do it again uh, next week. Again, join us on Monday. It's SETN Preps on Facebook. He's Chandler Morrison. I'm Chris Goforth. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again.